is a very, 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 very special show. It sure is. Very special, special app. They're all yeah. special. But this one yeah. is especially special, which means it's the only special one. And, you know, people say like, oh, you know, it's like if I had to pick my favorite, it's like name your favorite child. It's like, uh-huh. well, we all know all parents have a favorite child. That's true. I think this episode might be mine. Okay. Well. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's up there. It's in the conversation. Um, it's it's Dan Savage, so of course we get into we get into it all of it all of it. So how how are, how are you? What's going I'm on? Okay, I'm okay. I am. I have a light ringing in the ears. Yeah, what? Um, ben and I came upon. Um, uh, we came into um, uh, tickets to My Bloody Valentine, which is a band that I really like. However, I've seen them live once before. Mm-hmm. Um, the last time they toured at the Santa Monica Civic Center or whatever. Mm-hmm. They are, and I think that I knew this going in, but I didn't understand it. They're the loudest fucking thing in the world. Like sure. it's crazy how loud they are. Like I think they have some record or something for being the loudest band. Oh, wow. So, um, and Ben loves them and I like them, but anyway, uh, a friend of mine had tickets and had to travel and so he gave them to us. And it was at the end of, first of all, we had had Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. On Saturday night, that turned into uh, obviously a whole, like we basically had you know two other nights after that. Like we went out with everyone afterwards, and uh-huh. then went home and hung out and watched TV with friends until like three in the morning and whatever. We were like behaved like college students, uh-huh. and then woke up and I had to do a long train. Oh, and by the way, we'll come back to the long run, but whatever. So and then like hung out by the pool, had a couple of you know friends who've just moved to town, came out, whatever. And then it was like I was like surely at the end of this day, I was like sort of trying to angle Ben into the sun. Because he's kind of fair, like just hoping <laughs> that it would like wear him out a little bit. Because he was definitely more gung ho about seeing my bloody Valentine way the fuck downtown at the shrine. Oh yeah, and uh, but uh, it did not work because my man's it. got endurance. So we so we like so we went to this show at, like that started at nine, and then we got there and we realized it was so loud that our hair was moving. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it's unbelievably loud. So the only way for you to endure it is to put earplugs in and that cancels all the kind of top end so you're just hearing so did you put earplugs in yes you did yes and i still like i'm still i find that slightly adorable well thank you and and just for like listeners who might not be familiar with them Mm -hmm. my bloody valentine is a like a how would you like they're like a punk rock no no no, exactly they were like (laughs) they were like a uh, like a shoegazy kind of Oh, dreamy yes. band, but just Great. with like a wall of guitars that are incredibly uh-huh, loud. Uh-huh. Um, the, because their most famous uh, sh- like shoegazy song is, you know, I'd love to mm, hear which one is your favorite. My bloody Valentine. Oh, so their their self titled song, con- yeah, yeah, from like Matt Damon. Matt Damon sang it in um, "Talented Mr. Ripley." That's yeah. how they got their start. Actually, that people is, don't know that. That is actually uh, that is actually false. They uh, they do have a thing that they do at the end of the set, just before the encore, where they play the same note for about twenty five minutes, and that is not an exaggeration. Like it literally oh, is just yeah. the same note for like twenty five minutes, and it's like it's surprising, and then it's annoying, and then it's funny, and then it's annoying again. And then it just and then it just keeps going for another fifteen minutes, and uh, we did not stay for that last night. Last night it was like you know you what, my bloody of... Valentine, you win. We talked about, did we talk about him with Ryan O'Connell. Was he was he our shoegaze? Yeah, fan? yeah, I bet he's a fan. Yeah, yeah, uh, plays the same note for twenty five minutes is definitely something we have. Is I, that there can't be too many more yeah. bands who do that. Yeah, and I know not. I saw on Instagram that Kerry O'Donnell was there. Oh, because he's uh, yeah, he's a sure. fan of them as well. Yeah. Shout out to Carrie. Hi. Hi, Carrie O'Donnell. And then 
Okay, so I went for a run along Santa Monica on, on the beach, right? Yeah. And uh, you know that I follow Grocer Joe. Oh, yes. From The Bachelorette. Okay, he was posting stories from Santa Monica Boulevard. Wow. wow. Oh, yeah. Santa yeah, Monica Boulevard? Fact, not Santa Monica Boulevard. Santa Monica. A, a boulevard in oh, Santa Monica. Right, right on the beach. It. Okay, here we go. Here I am at Misfits, about to eat a chocolate chip cookie. Garbage. He doesn't like it. So I don't know what Misfits is. But he was definitely – so I was – I had my fucking eyes peeled for Grocer Joe. I did not see him. He might still be in town. I don't know. I'm going to go look. And were, are you are you checking stories while you're running? Um, I did once, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I did once. But I bet that put a little pep in your step. Sure did. That's a really good little Sure did. Trick. Yeah. I want to find the wow. goofball from the reality show that I'm – anyway. And people should also listen – To this. To this episode. Oh, my God. Um, he needs no introduction. He really doesn't. Uh, if you're, you know, prudish in any way, uh, that's about to change. Uh, yeah. You're about to let uh, be led uh, wholesomely and intelligently down uh, down the stony path. I have never been this inspired by a conversation about porn. Yeah. Where I felt emotional. I mm-hmm. felt like this is like a patriotic uh, conversation. Yeah. Um, and he is, of course, the the sex columnist – God and uh, the host of Savage Love, mm-hmm. which I'm sure you're already listening to, mm-hmm. but if you're not, get on it. Mm-hmm. Dan Savage is here. Oh boy. Well, folks, we are back. Oh my God. Oh my God. Did you hear that? That was the sound of excitement coming through my body. Did you know that when we started this show, before we started, before we even knew if we were doing the show for real, Chris mm-hmm. Bannon was here. Chris Bannon is the, like, um, Miranda Priestley of Earwolf, mm-hmm. except he's very nice. He's very right. sweet. Right. But uh, And he said, who is your dream guest? And I said, Jennifer Aniston. <laughs> but she's not gay, so mm-hmm. then my so. dream guest would be Dan Savage. <gasps> and he's here. And we got him. <laughs> oh, well, my God. Dan. You can talk now, Dan. I, I think you need to <laughs> dream more ambitious dreams. <laughs> Than me or Jennifer Aniston, but thank you. Well, now that you're, you're here, here, we can work on on Jen. Yeah, absolutely. Or like better and more important gay people than I am. Oh, no such stop thing. It. Stop it. How, how are you? Is, then? How are you? I, I'm good. I'm good. I'm down in LA for a couple of days working on a thing and roasting alive and looking forward to going home to Seattle where it's cooler. But then I looked at the weather and it's actually just as hot in Seattle because climate change and we're all going to die. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, What's the no, overall no. mood in Seattle? Uh, you know, everyone's freaked out. Seattle is one of those, uh, sanctuary cities, uh, resistance, uh, vills. Mm-hmm. And, uh, everyone is, uh, running around in circles with their hair, hair on fire, freaking yeah. out about the, the, the country and the insane idiot, uh, in the cockpit flying yeah. the plane into the building. Yeah. When you go out in Seattle, is everyone just running to you <laughs> pour, to pour out their feelings on everything. You know, I, I get approached. Sometimes people want advice on the fly, standing next to me at the urinal at the bar. Um, every once in a while, someone comes up to me and wants to yell at me about something I wrote 20 years ago that sure. they were too lazy to send an email about 10 years ago or mm-hmm. 15 years ago or 20 years ago. And that's always interesting. And it makes you a bit flinchy, you know, when yeah. every 20th person who approaches you uh, has an issue. And has yeah. an anger management issue, 
and has no boundaries. Otherwise, they wouldn't be approaching you to yell at you about something from 20 years ago. So they're not the kind of person who wants to approach you and have a reasonable conversation about a point of disagreement that's ancient. Uh, of course, that's a self-selected group of people who are bananas. Yeah. Uh, and so that makes you flinchy. But yeah, yeah. I, get, I get approached. People come up in the street. They want a selfie or they want some advice. Or they want me to identify the sore on their genitalia and I'm happy to do all that. <laughs> so are, do you, you always uh, – your game? Yeah, I'm always happy to to engage with people. Um, sometimes it's weird. Like the, the the example I always use is to, you know because I write about sex and uh, you know cool. This is the thing. You, know, you talk to really famous people and they'll tell you that cool people see you and leave you alone. So the people who approach you are a self selected group of probably not cool people. Mm. Um, so you know I've, I've met some movie stars and had that conversation uh, where that's come up and it's just like yeah the, the problem is. This person you might like having an interaction with or talking to is the person who left you alone. Right. The people who come up to you for pictures or whatever else, maybe not as likable. But I was at the airport with my son when he was about seven years old uh, in Chicago getting sandwiches before a long flight at like eight in the morning. And this guy comes up to me and starts asking me in a very loud voice about rimming. Wow. And I was like, uh, this is my seven-year-old date in the morning. I don't want to talk about rimming in the morning even when my seven-year-old isn't standing right here. And I'm sure everybody else in this line at Quiznos doesn't want to hear about it either. So uh, put your eating ass questions in an email and I promise. (laughs) We'll get to you. Put in the subject line, met you at Midway, have no common sense and I will respond to you in the column. And you can give him some advice on rimming and also just on – Human interaction, yeah, on a real basic level. Here's my kid. We haven't broached this subject yet. We just did. Where do babies come from? We haven't done. Where do tongues go when they're <laughs> running out of other ideas? Have you gotten there now? Because he's grown now. Right? Yeah, he's, he's twenty. Oh, so he knows about Holy running. Cow. Yeah, he knows about everything. Great. So he's in college. Uh, no, he's taking some time off. Okay. Uh, and he is working and hanging out and living with us still, uh-huh. uh, which I think uh, annoys him sometimes as much as it uh, annoys us. But yeah. you know that's what kids do nowadays. They live with their parents until they're 44. Yeah. Sure. I'd be doing it 100% if my parents were not in Ohio and <laughs> yeah. New Jersey. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he wants to live in Seattle and he wants to live in the neighborhood he grew up in. And that is no longer possible sure. because of Amazon and the housing situation there. So he's going to continue to live in his – basically his giant apartment in the basement of our house. And we're fine with that. Yeah. He's a good roommate. Seems like he's got it pretty good. Yeah, it's a good life. So Seattle is a little bit in crisis right now just because of the current moment in history. Mm-hmm. How about you? Like how do you take care of yourself in this time? <laughs> uh, pot edibles. Yeah. Legal mm. marijuana. The pot edible market is uh, has saved my life. Yeah. Um, you no longer have to play pot edible roulette where you made them yourself and you have no idea how strong they are until you're actually – Way too high, yeah. And then you then you figure out how you need to adjust the dosage. You only eat an eighth of this cookie uh-huh. as opposed to the whole goddamn cookie yeah. and your comatose. Um, I, I keep thinking about the AIDS epidemic. I've been thinking about that since uh, since election night. The the night after Donald Trump won the election, I had to host the opening night of Hump, the my short little dirty funny porn film mm-hmm. festival in Seattle, yeah. and there were five hundred people in a theater devastated and there to watch humorous, erotic, sometimes pornographic porn shorts and a lot of them feeling guilty about being there. And and I gave this speech and it's really, you know, I gave this speech. I'm going to suck my own dick for a second and praise myself. But at that moment, I actually stood up there and cried and and just broke down for these people, many of whom were way too young to remember the worst years of the HIV AIDS epidemic, what it was like, how dire it was, how how awful it was. And, and people were dropping like flies all around us and it felt like the end. And we fought and we fought and we fought and that was so important. But what drove our enemies crazy as we fought 
was after every after every big act up demonstration there was a party and people went and they danced and they made out and they had sex and they went home and they made art and they made poetry and they made theater and they made pornography and we still lived our lives as we were fighting for them. And that's what we're going to do here tonight. We're going to live our lives as we fight for them. Um, and, and that's really important. And that really got us through. It not only got us through the worst years of the HIV AIDS epidemic, it demoralized our enemies because they wanted us curled up in the fetal position on the floor dying or too devastated and too sad to get up and fight. And then they saw us get up and fight. And then they saw us still having sex, having joy, having connection and, and making time during the fight or as a part of the fight for pleasure. And I think that's really important and people can't lose sight of that right now. We all need to resist. We all need to be in the fight. But part of the fight is getting high and binge watching something. Part of the fight <laughs> is sucking a dick. Part of the fight is going out with your friends and not talking about it for an evening and remembering, <sighs> you know, the life that you're fighting for, which isn't a life of just fighting. It's like a life of joy and pleasure and connection and intimacy and pornography and romance and sex and blowjobs and everything else. Mm -hmm. So hump is actually the, I mean, incredibly appropriate. I think so. I feel, I, I wish I was going to it right now. <laughs> Humpfilmfest.com. What yeah. were some highlights from this year's festival? Oh my God. It's, like asking someone to choose their favorite child. Um, for people who don't know what Hump is, yeah. it's a short porn film festival that started at The Stranger like 14 years ago. And uh, people make five-minute or less pornographic shorts. And they can be explicit. They can be comedy. They can be musicals. They can be animation. Uh, a lot of them are hardcore. And, and my favorites are always the ones that uh, blend pornography, explicit pornography with humor, which – you know, is actually easier than you might think to still be to be funny and sexy at the same time, and even funny and pornographic at the same time. Um, you know, or, or funny and touching, and or dirty and touching and heartwarming. One of my favorites from the last few years is this film called Glory Hall, and it was this sort of like straight to the camera, two person shot interview with this gay couple in their fifties uh, or early sixties talking about when they met and how they met, and they met in a dirty bookstore in San Francisco in the back rooms in the glory hole rooms and they had this you know they really sparked while they were having anonymous sex through a glory hole um, and then they moved into a booth together and they really sparked and they ended up sitting outside in a car uh, after they hooked up anonymously and talking and they've been together ever since and so as wow. they're telling the story there's a reenactment with younger actors where they recreated their meeting and it's explicit and it's dirty and the whole thing is just so beautifully touchingly heartwarming wow. and, and it speaks to something that I'm always talking about in my column which is a lot of relationships, really good relationships, have sleazy starts. And unless you are one of the two people in that relationship, you're unlikely to know about the sleazy start because, because people create the friends and families version of how they met. You right. know, if yeah. you, you probably know couples who've met in dungeons and met in rehab and met in, you know, glory holes, uh, but they didn't tell you. Yeah, uh, or you, blind dates. Right. Yeah. You know, if your parents met because your mom used to be a sex worker, she probably didn't tell you. Yeah. Right? But there's a lot of great relationships with sleazy starts. And I'm always having to answer questions from people whose relationships – who are in a relationship that had a sleazy start and they're doubting whether that relationship has legs because the beginning was so skeezy mm -hmm. or, you know, filthy dirty. And if only people knew how many relationships had sleazy starts, they wouldn't undermine a good and decent relationship they're in because they worry about the way they met. Right. Wow. 
And so that film. that Hump film really like spoke to me. Yeah, I need this one. Now, where these don't live anywhere after the festival, right? It's no. kind of one and done. Yeah, the whole idea of Hump is uh, there's nothing online, and you have to come to the theater to see it. And we police the theaters to make sure no one's like trying to make a bootleg, uh, so that you can be a porn star for a weekend in a movie theater without being a porn star on the internet for eternity. Mm-hmm. And so we get a lot of really interesting submissions from people who otherwise wouldn't be comfortable submitting. Really, uh, mm-hmm. you know everything, their, their sexuality, uh, themselves, them having sex, uh, to a film festival. There's no, you can't stream it. You can't watch it on the television. You can't watch it at home. You literally have to get to a theater and watch it, which is how our grandparents watch pornography. They went to a movie theater to watch Linda Lovelace or they went to a movie theater to watch behind the green door, uh, and sat in the dark with strangers and watched pornography. And we brought that back. What are the Masturbation rules in No masturbation. Festival. No. You have to police <laughs> right. for that? Yeah. We don't usually have to police for that. That's happened a couple of times. People who come to Hump thinking that they're going to like crank one out in the back row are usually very disappointed by the pornography that they're going to see. Right. Uh, because a lot of it's really funny. The videos are really short. And what's really magical about Hump is you've got gay guys watching c- – Cunnilingus, you've got straight guys watching gay ass fucking, you've got cisgender people watching porn made by trans people with trans people in it where they're not performing for cis people. You've got vanilla people watching kink porn. And there's this amazing thing that happens at a screening, uh, and I've watched a million of these screenings, where at first everyone's kind of thrown back in their seats because, oh my God, that's not my thing. Mm -hmm. If I was home alone watching pornography, I would not have clicked on that. And people are really kind of, they get the wind knocked out of them a couple of times early in the screening. And then about the third, halfway through the screening, everyone is laughing and cheering and clapping for every film. People aren't being knocked back in their seats anymore. And what happens is at first, what happens is at first, all anybody can see is like, what's different. That's not my preferred plumbing, my preferred sex acts, my kind of gender expression, whatever. All I can see is what's not mine and what's different. Mm -hmm. And about a third of the way through, people begin to see what is the same, which is connection, intimacy, humor, desire, that everything under that thin veneer of difference is exactly the same. And there's this moment when a hump audience taps into the what they share with each film, even if it's so unlike their desire or their own experiences. And that's just fucking magic. And it wasn't our intention. We weren't like, we're going to like, we're going to perpetrate this like magic trick yeah. on these audiences. We thought this will be fun and crazy and, and we'll do it once. Yeah. Um, but it actually turned into this thing that's fun and crazy and has this kind of subtle bank shot mission. So cool. What were your thoughts on Hump Day, the movie? Oh, my God. Uh, Lynn Shelton's movie? Yeah. We, we were able to <clears throat> guilt Lynn Sheldon into making a film for Hump after she made Hump Day, which really? is a, a riff on the Hump Film Festival. Yeah. Where these two straight guys who are kind of getting into middle age and uh, challenge each other to make a gay oh, Hump oh, film yeah. together and yeah. submit it. Uh, and Lynn Shelton, who's a terrific director, um, it was one of her big early breakout films in the mumblecore tradition. I don't know if she likes that tag or that label. Um, And and, and we loved it. It just spoke to the kind of the cultural relevance, particularly in the Pacific Northwest at the time, which is where Hump mostly was, uh, of the film festival. And then we challenged her, like, all right, you got to make one for the actual festival. And she did, and it won. There are are awards at Hump. Uh uh, And it won an audience award. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's something I'm proud, really proud of with Hump is that uh, we started it not really knowing how people run film festivals, so we didn't know that people charge people to submit films to film festivals. You have to pay mm-hmm. to get your film considered for most film festivals, which seems crazy to me. Uh, and there's no charge to enter Hump. There's $20,000 worth of awards that are given to the filmmakers by audience ballot, including the $10,000 Best in Show Award. Um, and uh, there's now a Hump tour to 50 cities where the films play in theaters, never online. 
and each filmmaker gets a percentage of every single ticket sold on the Hump Tour. Wow. So it's wow. a good deal for the filmmakers. That's awesome. Yeah. So earlier when you were saying uh, that part of your self-care might include you know, having an edible and binge-watching something, what on a – Typical night these days might you be binge watching? Uh, Kimmy Schmidt, nice. uh, binge watched Killing Eve, watching oh, it a second time with a, with a friend who didn't get to to binge watch it with me, just so that so we can good. experience. It's so good, and it's so good to see it twice because there's a lot lot of tells and uh, little clues and oh, things you pick up through the second viewing. Although I'm such an asshole, <laughs> um, the the episode in Berlin yeah. makes no sense. And I actually stopped watching it the first time I watched it because I was like, if it's like this for the rest of the way, the third episode of Killing Eve needed a rewrite. I'm struggling to remember, but I take That's just my opinion. I'm just putting it out there in the world. Everyone's praising it up and down and left and right. And I love it. I ended up watching the whole thing and fell in love with it. But when I watched it through the second time now, I skipped the third episode so I wouldn't get angry about the Berlin stuff. Okay. I'll still have if I watch it again. Um, So we were talking before about stuff you loved. You said the only thing you really love is Sondheim musicals? Yeah. What are your... I'm, I am the dullest person. People who meet me who just know me through the column expect like they're going to walk into my house and there's going to be a sling over the dining room table and a goat <laughs> under it and it's just going to be fucking nuts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and our son likes to joke that every house on our block has been broken into. Uh, there's a lot of thefts in our neighborhood and, and people come and steal TVs and our house hasn't been broken into and he says it's because thieves look through the windows and think the old ladies who live here don't have anything anybody <laughs> would want to buy because we have all this furniture that belonged to my great grandparents and it just looks really boring in there because we are really boring so the things I love are kind of the things I've always loved give me uh, a night stoned listening to a little night music uh, and company and follies and Pacific Overtures and I'm uh, in heaven. Those are the things I love more than anything in the world. Have you subscribed to Broadway HD? I haven't. Okay. I just did. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. They're not a sponsor, I should point out. I I, I may have to succumb because I would love to move to New York Uh so I can see shows without having to spend 16 hours each way and uh, going both ways in a plane to yeah, see right, a show. Right. Uh, but my husband won't move to New York, so maybe mm-hmm. I should subscribe to Broadway HD. It, it doesn't have everything. It's not comprehensive, but it does have enough good stuff. They have uh, the Raul Esparza uh, company. They have the uh, Neil Patrick Harris and Stephen Colbert one. They have some uh, 1976 follies that I haven't torn into yet. It's worth it. I, I'm gonna. You, you, I'm sold. So they ought to be a sponsor. Yeah, I really feel should. like it's only a matter of time until they have a Dave Holmes <laughs> yeah, hosted yeah. hour on there I'm at ready. some point. I'm ready. That's my so pitch. When you go to New York, seeing shows, that's always on the agenda. Mm-hmm. What have you seen in recent years that you love? Uh, Dear Evan Hansen. That was crazy to watch because mm-hmm. it's basically. Uh, it's a musical about the It Gets Better project if the It Gets Better project was a well-intentioned fraud. Yeah. You know, it's this kind yeah. of anti-suicide, accidental anti-suicide campaign that goes viral in a way that blows up all the lives of the, the, mm-hmm. the, the kids involved with it. And that was crazy. I knew nothing about it when I went to see it. I saw it a couple of days after it opened. Uh, and that was just really gobsmacking to be wow. sitting there in the theater watching that happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I loved it. Um, and I just saw Boys in the Band. With, oh, uh, yeah. How was that? Tell us everything. Zachary Quinto and Andrew Rannells and everybody else. It was great. Um, they shortened it. It used to be a two act, mm-hmm. uh, and it, it was just a one act. So a little bit, there was a. I thought there was a slight problem with getting to that dark night of the soul. Everybody ripping into each other a little too quickly. I kind of think you needed the intermission. Yeah. Um. But it, it's it's really amazing and wonderful to see. And 
fuck everybody who thinks that uh, the play is homophobic or self-hating. The whole thing builds to, and this, you know, if you're not already familiar with this, spoiler warning <laughs> alert, shut this down, but I feel I can say this because the play is yeah. 50 fucking years old. It's, it's, yeah. It all builds to if we could only learn not to hate ourselves quite so much. That's the message and takeaway of the play, and that was the mission of the 70s and 80s and 90s that came after that play. That play was written pre-Stonewall. And we have learned not to hate ourselves quite so much. And anybody who sees that play who comes away thinking uh, it's a self-hatred, um, anti-gay, faggoty minstrel show uh, is an idiot. Or they've seen a bad production of it. Or they've seen a bad production. production Go see the production on Broadway right now. It is amazing. And uh, you get to see Matt Bomber naked and... How often do you get to see Matt Bomber naked in person oh, if you're not Mr. Matt Bomber's husband? Come on. Your dear, dear friend, Matt Bomber. My co-star, Matt yeah. Bomber. We did it. I'm like basically an extra in a, in a movie that's, that's <laughs> coming out later this year with Matt Bomber. Um, uh, happy to have Tuck Watkins back in the mix. You know what I mean? Tuck Watkins. He's in The Boys in the Bath. <laughs> oh, oh, God. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. I'm so terrible with names. Yeah. He's great. Oh is he cut, the, cut, cut me going blanking on that. Yeah. I, was, <laughs> just I couldn't help it. you either. I was like, who is that again? Um, I would have to look it up. Uh, he was like on soaps and stuff. Did you get oh, to okay. see him? Did you no, get to see Boys in the Band? It, no. uh, it's so good. Make I actually am going to be there next week, so maybe I'll go, 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 go. Ticket. It closes, I think, August 11th, and yeah. it can't extend because all right. the movie stars in it have projects now. Got to go. Yeah. Of course, they yeah. are a sponsor of the show. I forgot. That's We've right. Done Boys in the Band ads. Yeah. I'm getting a ticket. That's yeah, all there is to it. Well, I'm hurt because they haven't sponsored my show. Oh damn it! Yet. Well, we're running kind of right out of time. I'm not worried about your podcast, Dan. You're going to be okay. What is on your recent playlist? Just uh, music-wise. Company Follies. Really? Is that – do you just music-wise only go back to the stuff that you knew? Yeah. Or is there anything I mean there's some – you know, there's some non-Sondheim in there. I'm, I love Book of Mormon. Mm-hmm. I like Little Shop of Horrors. I like uh, the original Broadway cast recording of Chicago. Fuck the movie. Wow. It's a very strong Hot opinion. Take. There's a lot of good stuff in the movie. Really great performances in the movie. I think Catherine Zeta-Jones was great in the movie. I saw Catherine Zeta-Jones on Broadway in A Little Night Music, and she got bad reviews, but she was really good. I don't understand what happened to the fucking reviews. Frank yeah. Rich agrees with me. I talked to Frank Rich about it afterwards, <laughs> and he thought the reviews are wrong, so I'm going with Frank Rich, the butcher of Broadway, uh, on Catherine Zeta-Jones' performance in A Little Night Music. This is how much of a Broadway show queen I am. I love it. It um, goes so deep. But the problem with Chicago the Musical, and here's this is just for the show queens out there, uh, Renee Zellweger kills her lover in self-defense. The whole point, the, the whole idea of the musical is someone manipulating the media to get off for a crime that they actually committed. And so by letting Renee Zellweger kill her lover in self-defense, the nothing that comes after that opening sequence in the movie makes any fucking sense at all. Oh, that's a change they made for the movie? Yeah. Which, oh. Listen to the original Broadway cast recording. Listen to Gwen Verdon. You get to this point where she goes, so, it's, so that's it, huh? And he goes, yeah, I'm sorry, babe. And she goes, hey, nobody walks out on me. Bang, bang, bang. Shoots him in cold blood. Kills him in cold blood. Wow. He's not beating her up. He's not coming at her. She doesn't kill him in self-defense. I still find it very relatable. I would do it too. Um, wow. So, so, yeah, so you're right. the, 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 the there's movie. a lot of great stuff. Like uh, in, in the movie, Catherine Zeta Jones was great. Um, Queen Latifah was great. The sort of Fosse esque staging and like the movie musical in the theater, like the cabaret sort of reimagining of it was awesome. But they really undermined the like the 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 the, the theme, the idea, the, 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 what the musical was about was mm-hmm. destroyed in the first minute and a half. What movie version of a musical has done it 
really well. Cabaret. Yeah. And uh, South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut. Sure. The best movie musical <laughs> the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. So clearly you've not seen Mamma Mia 2. Here we go again. <laughs> I have not. Dan, it is so, – did you see it, Matt? It's amazing. It's – it is what? the greatest cinematic <laughs> achievement of the last 100 years. And what? You I, don't have to see part one no, you to don't. understand. I haven't seen part. You don't have to worry about me seeing uh, part it one. It is so utterly ridiculous in every way. It's really a joy. That Yeah, it is. Like it, Every frame of it is just delicious. You know the way some people are deathly allergic to peanuts? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I have that, but with jukebox musicals? Sure. I, sure. If I see one, I'll go to Ephiletic Shock or whatever the fuck that is and die. And, uh, and yeah. there is no EpiPen for a jukebox musical allergy, so yeah. I can't see Mamma Mia. One or two. I. It is, it is so its own thing. You know what I mean? That only aspires to be this big, dumb thing. And I will say it does not feel like a jukebox musical because they used up all of the recognizable ABBA tunes in part one. So you're getting deep cuts in this one where you're like, this is a song? Yeah. Who knew ABBA had so many ballads? There are a gajillion (laughs) ABBA ballads in Mamma Mia. I I saw Coming Soon for it. And maybe if there can be a special screening where they just don't turn the sound on because the (laughs) guys look really hot. And I might just want to sit there and watch the guys jump around. Mm -hmm. But I don't want to hear any of the dialogue. You don't want to see Cher? Spoiler alert. (laughs) It's the whole trailer. You don't want to see Cher come in? It's her grandmother? Cher play Meryl Streep's grandmother. Yeah, or Meryl, Meryl Streep's mom yeah. and Cher is two years older than Meryl Streep. Yeah, something like that. Dude, these are the things I bump on in, in, in movies and TV. Like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Why would they do that? I'm yeah. very, very literal. Things have to work. Yeah. Well, this yeah, does this not work. This is not what you call a movie that works. No, not at all. But it's it's just – it is so – it's so it's so dumb that like you cannot help but love it. It's just like a big dumb dog, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you can't – I don't know. Um Speaking of hot boys, young actors who you're who you're sweating right now. Oh yeah. my God! Do you really want like fifty yes. three year old creepy old fag to sit here and like drool about hot <laughs> young Why actors? Do you think I you're don't here? know any of their names? The only like hot young like person out there in the world whose name I know is Sean Mendez. Oh yeah, okay. he's beautiful, he and is. I only know who he is because of this uh, comedian uh, in Portland I follow on Instagram, Kid Zombie, yeah. uh, is always posting short video clips of, of Sean Mendez because oh, yeah. he's obsessed with him, which is the only way I even know Sean Mendez exists is because this other guy was drooling over him and now I am too. Yeah. He's lovely. Yeah, he's fucking yeah. gorgeous. Yeah. The, and that, that's it? List of one? You don't know the names of the other one. Yeah, I, d- I don't know the names of the other one. I I, I'm still thing. pining for River Phoenix. Yeah. Mm. Um, aren't we all? Yeah. On that note, should well, we take a little break? Let's take a break. Walk it off. Pine for a River Phoenix and yeah. we'll be back. Hey, guys and gals. Uh, it's me, Dave. I am in a... A secret location. I'll talk about it on the podcast soon. I promise. But in the meantime, I got to tell you about something brand new here at Earwolf. It is called Obscure. Michael Ian Black is back on Earwolf. Obscure is the podcast. In it, he uh, reads a a beloved work of literature that uh, he's never read before, and neither have I and neither of you. Jude the Obscure. He's reading it out loud, and he's commenting as he goes. He does not want to do this, and I understand it. But he's doing it for you. He's got a lot of thoughts to share along the way. Uh, so join him and some of his famous friends, some of his non-famous friends, some experts, as he dives deep into Jude's world and maybe even discovers some things about his own. Uh, David Cross was on recently, Michael Showalter. Uh, Michael is truly one of the greats. We are so excited to have him here at Earwolf. So uh, subscribe to Obscure. Do it in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen. Shabbat <laughs> 
All right, we are back with Dan Savage. Back to bore you. Bore no. You no, God, no. Can't name less? a single actor. Jeez. Boring. Can't name a single living actor under the age of 40 and uh, only wants to sit here and talk about Broadway musicals. <laughs> and be pedantic best. about certain plot points in episode three of <laughs> Killing Eve. So, Dan, what is your current relationship stat? I'm just kidding. That's what we asked I know you have been married for how many years? 24 years. Wow. Not married for all those years because we couldn't get married for when we met. Right. Uh, so uh, married for like 12 years. Wow. Okay. Um, I saw you and Terry once. I used to live in Los Feliz and you walked right past my building when I was getting out of the – and it, it felt like when you see like a deer in your backyard. <laughs> and you don't want to – you want to like touch it but you don't want to scare it away. And yeah. I didn't – I was one of the cool people who oh, didn't thanks. say anything. Not as cool now. Which you, there you, are people out there listening who probably approached me. You were cool. Yeah, yeah you were totally cool. You were the cool, cool, you were you were the the cool exception. You were the yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so you saw me and Terry walking. Out. Were we arguing? That's usually no. You were walking walk quietly, and okay. I think I think it was, it's kind of near Griffith Park. It seemed like maybe you were coming down from a hike or something. And uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We like to go up there. Yeah, and it, but it just felt like that's comfortable silence right there. <laughs> well, one of the things we've, one of the things I think that has made our relationship work is we're good at being alone together. Like mm-hmm. we can share a space and share a house, and I can read the paper, and he can, um, I don't know, respond to comments on Instagram or whatever it is he does at this time, and <laughs> uh, and it's just very comfortable and relaxed, and we don't have to be, you know talking all the time or up each other's grill all the time. And that kind of intimacy and comfort and security is what uh, is one of the perks of the 24 years. You know, you trade that kind of, uh, the, the poly kids call it new relationship energy where you can't just not inhale each other and be on each other all the time for a kind of security and comfort and intimacy and then occasional inhalations of each other. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, can I, I have heard this story. I'm sure a lot of listeners have, but can you tell your story of how you guys met? <laughs> uh, I was in a bar. Um, it's funny. Sometimes I go to colleges and I talk, or I used to before colleges went crazy. I would go to colleges and talk, and some gay kid uh, who was familiar with the rough outline of my life, married, kid, house, dog, would stand up and say, oh, I want what you have. I want commitment and marriage and family and kids and uh, the white picket fence and the dog. But uh, I just have such a hard time dating or meeting anyone because I don't drink. I don't do drugs. I don't like the bar scene. Um, and I don't have one night stands. Dan, how did you get the house, the dog, the kid, the husband? Like, well, I was in a bar and I was drunk and I met this kid and he was high and we had a fucking one night stand. So you might want to revisit your whole approach, (laughs) which just goes, which like is a callback kind of to the whole, if a relationship has a sleazy beginning, it can't be a good and decent, lasting, loving, committed relationship. That kid who says that to me has it in his head that if you're going to have commitment and family and a serious relationship, it has to have some sort of rom-com Mm-hmm. Beginning, and it yeah. can't be you were making out in a bathroom in a gay bar uh, ten minutes after you met. Yeah. But I was in a bar, and I was—I'm really shy. I can't even talk to people. I think if I met Sean Mendez in person, I would not say one fucking word. Um, or someone I was into. Uh, I was in a gay bar, and I was standing in—I <laughs> have a drag queen to thank. Standing at um, check at the coat check with the drag queen Ginger Vitus, and pointing out this kid on the dance floor with like long hair. Long blonde hair parted in the middle, down to his chest, puka shell necklace, earrings. He looked like Janice from the Muppets, <laughs> uh, which is my type. Janice from the Muppet with a dick has always been my type. And I kept saying to Ginger, like, oh, my God, that guy. Look at that guy. Look at that guy. He's so sexy. He's so hot. Look at how he dances. Look at his mouth. He has a giant mouth like Janice from the Muppets. Uh, and then he came up 
to the coat check to get something out of his coat. Um, Lord only knows what. The second hit of E, probably. Uh, and Ginger, thank God, said, tell him. You've been telling me, tell him. Because he's standing right next to you now, tell him. And Terry hates it when I tell the story. But the first thing I said to him was just so stupid. I said, you have a pretty mouth? Because <laughs> I'm awkward and uncomfortable around people I think are super hot. And he looked at me and said, the better to eat you with. Oh. That's how we met. First oh. two things we said to each other, you have a pretty mouth, the better to eat you with. Wow. 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 That's a meat cute if I've ever heard one. And he's been eating me with that mouth ever since. <laughs> ever since. And you were, I mean, you were well known by then. Did he? Particularly in Seattle. Yeah. Um, you know, my column was syndicated. It was in a lot of places. This is 24 years ago, so I wasn't, I think, as well known then as I am now. But dating for me was hard in Seattle. Like the people I met who thought there was a sling over my table and a goat under it were like guys who wanted to date me and were very disappointed when there wasn't a goat under the dining room table. Uh-huh. Um, so that was a little weird. And I had, uh, you know, it's weird to be in my position because there are true things about me out there that like are rumors and there are lots of lies out there about me pretending to be true rumors uh-huh. about me. Um and it's funny that the the truth the true stories are uh, not nearly as exciting or racy as the fake ones, so nobody actually can latch onto the true ones. But but his friends, he had friends who were with him, who came up to me and were like, "Have you heard him?" I was like, uh-huh. "What are you talking about?" Oh wow! I'm like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm nice. I'm not gonna <laughs> hurt him unless he likes to be hurt. <laughs> you were, I think, uh, it must have been the Boston Phoenix. The mm-hmm. Savage Love in like the early nineties. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I used to read that in college. I went to a very, very stuffy not stuffy, but like a conservative Catholic college in Massachusetts. Boston College? No, Holy Cross. Oh, even more even more so. And uh and so that was my little window into a future <laughs> world of like joyful queerness. So thank you. I, I hear that from people and that's very gratifying. I'm yeah. very I'm often approached by queer adults now in their thirties, uh forties, sometimes fifties, who tell me that when they were gay and closeted and young, this was their like window into a future for themselves. Because you yeah. know, I did mention family and kids, and I talked about gay issues a lot. Uh, in a column for straight people, I have a I have a quota at Savage Love. Cameron Esposito told me that the column was really helpful to her when she was a closeted yeah. uh, lesbian teenager growing up in the suburbs of Chicago, and that was that's always really nice to hear. Because I don't just write about queer shit, right? Right. So uh. we talk on here a lot about. Um, there's a lot of debate about open relationships versus um, not so open relationships, <laughs> and you coined the term monogamish, right? Mm-hmm. And we got that from you. Yeah. Can you define that? Um, monogamish uh, means more monogamous than not, mostly monogamous. You know, when you're having sex, it's usually with your partner, almost always with your partner, but there's an allowance for some outside sexual contact. Uh, under certain circumstances and it's mutually agreed to and it's ethical. Uh, You're not lying or cheating. It can also just mean uh, for some people, and I think this is also a valid interpretation, uh, and really helpful for people who want a successful monogamous relationship, an acknowledgement that, yeah, you're going to be attracted to other people and so am I. And one of the lies we're told is that you'll fall in love and you won't want to sleep with anybody else. Well, therefore, you wouldn't need to make a monogamous commitment. We wouldn't even have the concept of monogamy or a term for it if being in love meant you didn't want to fuck anybody else. Mm -hmm. Um, you would just be in love and then not fucking anybody else because you're in love and it would just be part of the package. Uh, and so monogamish for some just means, yeah, you know, you can't be all things to anybody uh, emotionally or sexually and there are needs of my partner that I don't meet and maybe he gets those needs met, you know, watching foot fetish videos. If it's a woman with a partner who's into feet and she's not into having her toes licked, mm-hmm. 
because that's too heavy a lift. I don't understand. I hear from women all the time who are like, oh, he's got a foot fetish and I can't do it. I'm like, can't do it? Stick your foot in his mouth. How hard is that? Like, <laughs> what are you doing with your foot when you're on the couch watching television? Like, just park it in his face. Let him rub one out while you watch Killing Eve. Skip episode three. <laughs> um, how far in to your, if I may ask, did how far into your relationship did you and Terry realize that that, like what relationship model was right for you? Uh, about four years. We'd been together about four years when we opened uh, our relationship up. Uh, I'm still mad at Terry because the New York Times, Mark Oppenheimer wrote this piece on non-monogamy and uh, open relationships that really we were very much a part of, kind of centered in. Uh, and I was not so into monogamy when I met Terry, but I was just so in love with Terry that for him I would do monogamy. And we made a monogamous commitment and we honored it. Uh, and when we finally opened our relationship, it was at his instigation. And that was fine. I was like, yes, yes, let's, yeah, I'm all for this. But he told the New York Times when they asked him how he went from the one who demanded monogamy to this new, this non-monogamous relationship we're in, he said, and I quote, Dan can be very persuasive. Like wow. I browbeat him for four years until he's like, okay, okay, you can, I'll fuck somebody else. Like, <laughs> yeah. I feel bad for Terry. Terry doesn't have the platform to tell his side of the story quite as often as you do. Yeah, but I always make him – he always gets the best lines. If you read <laughs> – Yes. Yeah, I, I yes. can't go into it. It's too long a story. But read American Savage. There's a chapter in there called Bigot Christmas uh, where Brian Brown, the head of the National Organization for Marriage, came to my house. We had a debate oh God, I remember this. that we yes. taped about marriage. Uh, and Terry uh, won the debate, but it's not on the video because we turned the cameras off. There's something Terry says to Brian Brown uh, that anybody who's ever encountered one of these anti-gay bigots or seen them on TV, Terry lived the dream. Terry said to that person's face what you've always wanted to say to that person. What did he say? Well, I'm, I want people to go read the book. Oh, read the book. <laughs> worth it. It's worth it. But, but you know, people talk about – it's funny the way people talk about non-monogamy and the double standards they have for it. Like, oh, every you know, everybody I know who's ever been in a non-monogamous relationship, it failed. Well, a lot of monogamous relationships fail. And people mm -hmm. will say, oh, you know, I tried non-monogamy and it didn't work out, so I'm only ever doing monogamy. And you're like, and how many monogamous commitments have you made that where it didn't work out? Why this double standard? Like, it's like one and done with non-monogamy, but with monogamy, it's try, try again. Mm -hmm. um, and it just is bullshit and you, you have to figure out who you are and what you want, what works for you as a couple. Um, and when it comes to non-monogamy, uh, particularly straight people, they know a lot of people in non-monogamous relationships, but they don't know they know them because straight people in non-monogamous relationships usually aren't out. So the non-monogamous relationships we most often hear about are the ones that ended badly mm -hmm. and then we assume they all end badly and it's because the ones that haven't ended we perceive those people to be monogamous because right. they're socially monogamous if not sexually monogamous. Mm -hmm. So Non-monogamy gets this unfair rap because so many people in non-monogamous relationships are closeted. Yeah, It's just like the way uh, all gay people were perceived pre-most gay people being out. There were like cliches and stereotypes about gay people because those were the gay people who couldn't hide. Those yeah. are the gay people you could spot. And the gay yeah. people you couldn't spot benefited from that passing. Mm -hmm. And that is less true today because more people are out now. They, you know, gay people who can pass – for straight are still perceived to be straight casually or on the bus or whatever, but there are more and more of them, hopefully most of the majority of them actually, according to Pew, are out to their friends, families, coworkers, the most important peoples in their lives. So those people know that not all gay people are, are stereotypes. And some gay people are stereotypes and it's their authentic selves and I'm not saying that, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and it's the people who couldn't hide that we owe everything to. The hairdressers and ballet dancers made it safe for the basketball stars to That's come right. out, not the other way around. The big, masculine, brave, strong uh, gay dudes 
bros, the mask for mask gang, didn't make the world safe for the hairdressers. Yeah. It was the other way around. I'm, I'm not so interested in their their journey anymore. <laughs> I've heard enough from them. For you know, what? there's a bro app. Oh, oh, like there's it's like, like a to help you be a better for, bro or bro it, for bros. It's a it's a, a grinder for bros. It's called Bro. But it's, it's, but Grinder presents its, its logo as for bros. Its logo is a red solo cup. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I got it. There's something about that that appeals to me. Yeah, because I just do. I I love drinking games. That, sure. Uh, everything else about bro culture, I want nothing to do with. That's yeah. one aspect that I like. You want to get the, the ping pong into the cup. And yeah, and I want to play flip cup. Flip. I, I mean, I, no idea what that is. Flip cup is where you line up uh, red solo cups along a. Actually, I'm not even going to be able to explain it. As I started, I was like, wait, do I remember how to play this? I don't remember. There are some games that the rules for which you only remember when you're drunk. Yeah, right. it's muscle memory. If, if, we, if the cups, like, if we broke the knot right now, I would jump back. Can in. I say one more thing about monogamy? Because this yes. happens to me all the time, and it makes me want to um, punch a nun. Um, I have had this experience with straight people, um, with gay people. Where someone will say, you know, they'll know about me and Terry being non-monogamous. And we came out as non-monogamous at the height of the marriage equality debate because I was sick of hearing even supporters of marriage equality say, why shouldn't committed monogamous gay couples be allowed to marry when you don't have to be monogamous to be married if you're straight? Yeah. So why are we promoting this bullshit double standard? And I'll have people come up to me and say, I could never do what you and Terry do because I value commitment too highly. And the next thing out of their mouths is all my relationships have been monogamous. Uh-huh. All three of my marriages were monogamous. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, so you're committed to monogamy. Not to any of the dumb fucks you married. Right? Yeah. You're committed to that. I'm committed to Terry. And you're standing here looking at me telling me that we aren't committed to each other yeah. because we sometimes touch other people with the tips of our penises. Whereas you discard spouse after spouse after spouse that you've committed to and you've made a monogamous commitment to and then go make a new monogamous commitment to someone else until it's time for them to go and I'm not committed. Fuck you. I think, yeah, just committed and monogamous go ha- – like they're just lazily linked together. And people right. will say faithful when they mean yeah. I- I- interchangeably with monogamous as if monogamy is faithfulness and faithfulness is monogamy. And by implication, people who are not monogamous are not faithful. I am entirely faithful to Terry. Mm-hmm. And there are different ways you can break faith with a partner than just sexually. Uh, Esther Perot, um, the author, wrote um, Maining in Captivity uh, – uh, State of Affairs, Rethinking Infidelity is her new book. It's terrific. She says uh, two things I think are just so genius. In her TED Talk, which has 10 million views, um, the victim of the affair is not always the victim of the marriage. Or, or the victim of the marriage is – wait. You have to edit this so I don't sound like an idiot. No, I know what you mean though. It, 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 it's basically like the, the perceived victim is not is sometimes actually the bad guy. The victim of the affair is not always the victim of the marriage. Mm-hmm. And there are different ways that people betray each other, not just sexually. People betray each other with contempt with violence, with emotional abuse, with scorn, um, that sex is – we hold up monogamy successfully executed over five or six decades as the only standard of relationship success uh, or, or the or some sort of like metal test or acid test for, for love when two people can only have sex with each other for 50 years and have a contentious, high-conflict, emotionally abusive relationship that destroys their children – and is uh, a negative influence on everyone around them. And all we want to know is, did they not fuck anybody else? Good for them. Right. And if you told people, here's two, you know, here's a couple that've been together 40 years. She had two affairs. He had one affair. Here's a couple that've been together 40 years. They never cheated on each other. Which was the better relationship? Everyone's like them. Mm-hmm. Those the two who never cheated. They want no other information. And then you start complicating that and saying, 
he beats her. Yeah. How about now, which is the better marriage and the better relationship? The one where, where there was human failing? And, and I say this shit not to like convince people not to be monogamous or make monogamous commitments. A lot of what I say about monogamy and non-monogamy is to help people who want monogamous relationships have successful monogamous relationships, which includes acknowledging that you can't be all things to someone sexually, that your partner is going to desire others. Whether they act on that desire is the test of their monogamous commitment, not whether they have those desires. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much conflict in relationships around uh, things that we should just accept is true. Like he looked at the barista. He wants to fuck the barista. Yup. Wants to fuck the barista. Did he fuck the barista? Nope. He's good at monogamy. Right. Yeah. Or you're with somebody 50 years, cheated on you once, twice. He was good at monogamy or she was good at monogamy. Monogamy is the only thing that humans do where perfection is the only standard of success of, or even competence. Yeah. Uh, Sean White, world's greatest snowboarder, can fall the fuck down and get up and still be Sean White, world's greatest snowboarder. Yeah. Somebody's married 50 years. They fucked somebody else once. They were terrible at monogamy and they were never in love. Yeah. That is ridiculous. And having that yeah. be the standard for success in monogamy, it undermines and destroys what? Monogamous relationships. We talk about – I'm sorry. Now I'm ranting. I love oh, this. We boring. talk about monogamy the way we talk about virginity. Like it's there until it's gone, right? You mm-hmm. were a virgin. You fucked somebody. Hymen busted, no longer a virgin. You were monogamous, you fucked somebody else. Monogamy, hymen busted, you're no longer monogamous, you're terrible at this monogamy thing. We need to talk about it the way we talk about sobriety. That You can fall off the wagon and sober the fuck back up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And get good at it again. One day at a time. Yeah. That same principle applies to uh, exploring sexuality for men. Way more than it does women. Oh, you're right. I mean, yeah, yeah. That's sort of the whole Andrew Dice Clay, you suck one cock, you're a cocksucker for life kind of a thing. You <laughs> yeah, know what I mean? they're so tasty, you'll never go back. Right? No, but it's, it's um, you can be, I think you can be Or once you've had crack, you'll never go back. We should just exactly make a gay right. version of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's just, it's, it is more, I think this is changing, but it's more, um, it's more accepted for women to experiment with their sexuality. It is, yeah. you know, it's accepted for some. It's a turn on for some. But like, you know, a boy it, hooking up it's, with a boy, it's, a, it's still like, well, he's a little gay. It's a life. different world now, particularly for younger. You, you hear about uh, heteroflexibility uh-huh. even among young men. And that's that's really welcome. The, the, the thing that most surprised me when I started writing Savage Love 27 years ago. Um, You know, I was 26 years old. I was callow. I was gay. I had come out um, as a teenager, which is rare for gay men of my generation. Um, And, you know, my whole thing was I got to get the fuck away from straight people, particularly straight guys. I hate them. Uh And they tortured me and I hate them. And I didn't have any empathy for straight guys. And then I started getting their letters. And I suddenly, like the Grinch, my heart grew three sizes one day (laughs) and a couple of straight guys squeezed in. Because you know, straight guys run the world and they ruin the world and the patriarchy and, you know, running the world means also running the Seven Eleven franchise. So it's not all glory, but whatever. Um, and a lot of shit needs to be laid at the feet of heterosexual men. But heterosexual men are really paranoid because heterosexual maleness or heterosexual masculinity is so fragile for them. A woman can have sex with a woman, even have a relationship with a woman, identify as straight, no one doubts her. I had sex with women when I was 15 years old. Nobody says, you can't really be gay then, Yeah, right? right. Male heterosexuality is so fragile and endangered. And it's not just straight guys who are to blame for that. Gay guys are to blame for that. Girlfriends of these guys are to blame for that. I get letters from girls who are like, I used to get these letters more often. You know, my boyfriend likes to have his nipples sucked. Is he gay? My boyfriend, you know, made out, kissed a guy at a party once when he was drunk. Is he gay? Well, he could be, but 
that's not proof necessarily. And, and we had we have this latitude and freedom if we are not gay, if we are gay men, or if we're bi and out and open about it, or if we're women, we have this freedom to experiment and improvise and have diverse experiences and still be identify as gay or lesbian or or bi or straight if they're a woman that straight guys don't. And that kind of policing and, and kind of in a way sexual bullying and, and boxing in of straight guys, it warps their lives. And then they in turn, because they have so much power, turn around and fuck everybody else's lives up. Right. Mm. Yeah, it's it, – that is what I have come to recognize a lot of homophobia as, like from straight people, when they, like, when they see an exuberant gay person, gay man especially – what I see – like what I see in their reaction is I have learned to hate all of those things about myself to please my dad. Mm. So like I resent you for not doing that. For having that kind of freedom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember talking to a straight guy once where uh, he was hanging out and there was a little a bunch of gay guys in the apartment. And there was one moment where like there was like three or four gay – I was one of them. We were all kind of like sitting really close on the couch and somebody like – and we're not boyfriends and no one's dating. Threw their arm around somebody else. And it was just like this intimate like kind of laying into each other. And he looked at us and said, I can never do that. And he was so jealous. Like he said, I couldn't, I can't touch a guy like that. And I can't touch girls like that who I'm I'm not dating. It's too, and he's just like, straight guys are so walled off from from intimacy and touch and contact. And it's not just by straight guys. It's not just straight guys doing it to themselves. There was a study in the UK uh, a few years ago, and I'd have to look it up online to, to cite the name of it, where they wanted to measure stress levels, hormones, by looking at hormones, cortisone, the stress hormone, and they looked at gay men and straight men, and they were like, okay, we're going to look at this, and of course, gay guys are going to be a lot more stressed out because of gay bashing and homophobia and the church and whatever else. And they found that straight men's cortisone levels were higher than gay men's cortisone levels. And people were like, they couldn't figure this out. And I was mm-hmm. like, I get it. They worry, they get up every day worried someone's not going to think they're straight. Yeah. They move through the world every day policing how they walk, what their interests are, you know, yeah. how prominent their nipples are under the shirt, whatever it is, they're like constantly paranoid that their straightness is going to crumble. And I don't, I get up every day secure in my gayness in a way that a straight man can never be secure in his straightness. Oof. What a life. It's a pretty We're good so PSA for yeah. being gay. Yeah. <laughs> if you're gay, it's not going to work yeah. if you ain't gay. God almighty, Dan. Oh, God. Um, I feel like I'd like to do this for two more hours. Yeah, <laughs> I really enjoyed it. I don't. I think I had a little too much tea. No, oh, God, there's no, no please. such thing. Uh, uh, what a, you what mean, a... crystal meth? No, no, I don't, and yeah. I don't mean testosterone. I mean uh, <laughs> yeah. caffeinated beverage made from leaves from India, shredded mm-hmm. and dried. Mm-hmm. Thank you. You so have to be very careful about what what you mean by tea. Oh these yes, days. no, you absolutely do. But absolutely also, thank do. you for spilling the tea. Oh, another yeah, form of tea. Fun, that was really fun. Yeah. Um, you're a dream guest. Yeah. Thank you so much. Well, thanks. Come back anytime. I would be happy to come back. Great. We should do our questions first next time. We'll do questions Ooh, from your listeners. Yes. Oh, yes. Uh, I I love, why didn't we do that this time? What love, the fuck Dana. were we thinking? <laughs> <laughs> I love the Q&A format. It is deeply engraved in, in, on my, in my soul. Okay. Oh, that means, yeah, then you're officially coming back. Great. Done. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we have got so much stuff to go back to our respective relationships with. Oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. Yeah. I mean, every we all just got a free couple's counseling we session. We really did. We really, oh, damn it. What? He left, and I wanted to hear what Terry said to uh, to the guy from – to Brian Brown. Oh, yeah. But you God know what? I, damn actually, it. I have remember, I re- I've read that essay in the book, and it is worth – 
reading. Okay. It's well, very, very good. I just have to pick up the book. Um, and he definitely has to come back so we yes. can do some listener questions. Yeah. Uh, we FYI. were doing that for a while and kind of fell off. But yeah. We will we'll, – um... You dangle a Dan Savage in front of people. They will have some questions perhaps. Yeah. yeah. And right. next time I'm coming in with some questions. Great. We'll, we'll make you anonymous. We'll yeah, give you I'll, like a Bane uh-huh, I'll, thing. Yeah. And yeah. I'll, I'll badly disguise my voice. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. Wear a wig. Um, thank you, Dan Savage. Thank you, Dan Savage. Thank you, Dana Wickens, for holding it together. Yes, she did not nerd out on, on Dan until the very end. Yep. And it was just enough. Yeah. And, uh, and we appreciate it. And thank yeah. you, Sam. Sam. Thank you, everybody at Earwolf. Thank yep. you, Ben Wise, for the music. Yes, yes. Thank, thank you, Matt. Thank you, Dave Holmes. Thank you, listener. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye-bye. Hey, this is Arnie Niekamp from the Improv Fantasy Podcast, Hello from the Magic Tavern. I fell through a dimensional portal behind a Burger King in Chicago into the magical land of Foon, and I started a podcast. Season 3 has just begun with a brand new adventure to defeat the Dark Lord. If you're a new listener or you've fallen behind, Season 3 is a great jumping on point, and we've got great guests like Justin McElroy. I sound like a fancy college professor. Eight nights. <laughs> Rachel Bloom. You all see my collection of men corpses and one woman. Felicia Day and Colton Dunn. You've seen <coughs> me have intercourse with a variety of species. It's a bummer. Andy Daly. You have the members of Genesis listed, but Phil Collins yeah. has crossed out and then circled and crossed out again. Uh, yes, I have killed Phil Collins twice. Thomas Middleditch. <laughs> Oh, Jesus! I mean, Jazos, <laughs> ruler of the eighth circle. And that's just the beginning. Season three of Hello from the Magic Tavern is out now. Listen in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.